0: Wonderful. Well, I'd usually say at this point, it's good to be here with you. It of seems a bit disingenuous because it's just sort of us and you sitting there. But it is good to gather around God's Word. And how well served were we by the band tonight? That was such a, so wonderful just to get a taste of a few musicians at the same time and singing to the Lord. And today is a special day. As Brendan said, this is the day that Jesus died 2,000 years ago. It's the day that changed history. Forever. And tonight I want to tackle the question of where is God in a COVID-19 world? So I'd be grateful if you turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 21. You know, the Bible is what gives us clarity on all questions. The Bible is what revives our soul. The Bible is what gives us truth where there appears to be no truth. And today, in tackling the question of where is God in a COVID-19 world, you really don't want to hear my words. My words are like grass, but God's word is like granite. It's something we can completely rely upon. And this is the word of God, Revelation chapter 21. We're going to read the first five verses together. This is the word of the Lord. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. true. Let's pray. Lord, I do thank you that your word is trustworthy and true. Lord, would you be with us this evening? Lord, this is the night that you died 2,000 years ago. Lord, this is the night where you gave your life as a ransom for many. Oh Lord, I pray that we would gather around Calvary this evening. Although we look at the question of suffering, there is nowhere greater we can look to than the cross. So Lord, be with us. Do what only you can do. Open blind eyes. Speak to shielded hearts. Change our lives. In Jesus' name, Amen. In Coffey, in his excellent article, Is God to Blame? Writes of the following incredibly moving story. This is what he says. I rang the doorbell and stood waiting nervously for someone to answer. Eventually the door was opened and a child eyed me up and down quizzically. Fortunately the old man, the grandfather, came into the hallway and greeted me warmly. Come in, come in, he said as he shook my hand. He led me upstairs into the front bedroom. It was crowded with people, both adults and children, and in the centre lay a woman in a large double bed. At a guess, she was mid-forties, and she bore all the signs of a body racked with pain and disease. Her slight frame lay propped up against a mountain of white pillows, her skin a tone of ghastly yellow against the smooth cotton. It was obvious she did not have long left to live. Grandfather began speaking in Greek, and I could understand from his hand actions that he was introducing me to the woman and her surrounding family. I guessed he was explaining that I was a pastor from the local church he attended on his regular visits from Greece, and that at his invitation I'd come to offer some words of comfort and to pray for this lady and her family. The room fell silent as the old man finished his introduction. And the frail woman's face crumpled as if an invisible hand was screwing into a tight ball as she began to wail and shake her head from side to side. With what little strength she had, she was resisting any effort from me, or anyone for that matter, to offer prayers. A visit intended for comfort was instead bringing her grief. One of the men, her husband I later found out, bundled me from the room and down the stairs. As we stood in the hallway, he was very gracious as he explained to me the delicate family dilemma. The grandfather was well-meaning and concerned for his daughter-in-law's spiritual state. But the invitation was his initiative and certainly not appropriate. The dying woman wanted no prayers and so I offered my profuse apologies and left with both a humbled and wiser pastor. Same city, now many months later. I received a call to go into a pediatric intensive care unit of our local hospital. I stood around the incubator and looked at the tiny body of a baby boy, less than a week old. He was battling for life and his parents, both doctors, knew that he needed a series of miracles to survive. They had already lost one baby to the same genetic defect and now faced a second living nightmare. They asked if I would hold a short service of thanksgiving and dedication for this little one. Because no matter how brief his life, they wanted to acknowledge that he was a loving gift from a loving Heavenly Father. I'm used to such services being held in a crowded church with smiling grandparents and friends looking on with joy-wreathed faces. But there were just three of us in that clinical room, gowned, hatted, and hands scrubbed with disinfectant. The only music was the rhythmic beat of heart monitors. I held the tiny baby, still attached by wires and tubes to machines, and we held the service with questions, answers, Bible verses, and tears. Lots and lots of tears. And there together we affirmed what the three of us believed to be true. That the God of the Bible is good and loving and sovereign and therefore trustworthy, even in mystery, in all that he does. You know, for each and every one of us, suffering is a very real part of our world, is it not? On a global scale at the moment with COVID-19, there is all suffering taking place across the world. On January the 11th, the first individual died in Wuhan province of China from coronavirus. By March the 11th, it was classed as a global pandemic. And there is so much suffering taking place right now across the world. Sometimes suffering is global like this. But actually often it's simply on a personal scale, isn't it? As sure as sparks fly upwards, troubles fall. We all face challenges. We all face suffering. Sometimes in health. Sometimes financial. Sometimes relational. Sometimes circumstantial. You know the things I'm talking about because they're the things that are coming to your minds even now. For each and every one of us in the world, suffering is a real part of our lives. And yet our responses to suffering can be so very different, can't they? For some people, suffering seems to bring them closer to God. They seem to be more amazed with God's goodness and sovereignty and love. And yet for other people, it seems to drive them away from God. Less interested in God, more or less wagging their fingers at God. And more often than not, when you stop and you talk to the people that have been driven away from God it more often than not comes down to confusion as to the question of God and suffering. I mean, if God is truly good, and He is truly sovereign and truly powerful, then why doesn't He just stop this? Why doesn't He stop these things taking place in this world? Why doesn't He stop these things happening in my life? I mean, I am a dad of five children. And I dearly love each of my children. And so when they are suffering, I want to change it for them. And so we can rightly or maybe wrongly assume that God wants to do exactly the same and will do exactly the same from all of mankind today. Why doesn't he? If God is good and he is powerful and loving, why doesn't he just alleviate all suffering? Where is God now? Where is God in the midst of COVID-19? You know, this evening, it's my desire to seek to serve you by seeking to tackle that question of where is god in a covid 19 world where is he in the midst of the suffering that we are all presently going through to different degrees and in different locations see maybe you have friends that are asking this question and you want to be informed and cared for as to how to answer them or in truth maybe you're answering this question maybe it's something that's on your heart you're confused where is God in the midst of this? Where is our good God in the midst of this suffering? Well, my friends, I want to tackle this question, but a couple of things you should know. First of all, the Bible does not offer a simple and concise and easy answer on this issue. It's not like I can point you to a specific group of verses and say, there you go, God you know, explains it very clearly. It's not as simple as that. There's complexities. But what the Bible does offer us are framing points, anchor points, if you will, that help us to understand and get our hands around where is God in the midst of COVID-19. And it's my hope that if you're tuning in tonight and you are a Christian, you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour. It's my hope that you will once again receive comfort from the risen King. And if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour, It's my hope that this evening you will turn from your sin and run to the cross, run to Jesus and have your life completely and utterly transformed as a result. Where is God in the midst of a COVID-19 world? Well, three things that I want to point out, three framing points, three anchor points that will help us get our heads around this. And here's the first. This isn't the way that it was meant to be. See, it's so important that we understand that this isn't the way it was designed or meant to be. It's so easy to stand away from God and start wagging our finger at God as if to say, This is your fault. This is all you're doing. But the first thing we must understand is God didn't cause suffering to come into the world. No. We did. You did. I did. God didn't cause suffering to come into the world. We cause suffering to come into the world. That really does put a different frame on the entire question right from the off, does it not? And it's what we learn in Genesis 1 and 2 and 3. See, in Genesis chapter 1, we have the creation story. Genesis 1, we see God making all things. We see him making the sun and the moon and the land and the sea. We see him making the animals and the fish and the birds and the the vegetarians. Not the vegetarians, vegetation. And we see him at the pinnacle of all creation making men. Making men in his image. Male and female he made them. Man he made them ultimately. Man is made in God's image. And then he gave mankind responsibility over the earth. In the garden then, man and God dwelt together in perfect harmony. It was a beautiful scene in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. And God said that it was good. And it was. It was perfect in every way. It was paradise. It was the glories of Eden. But then comes the fall. The one thing that God had told Adam and Eve not to do, the one thing that he had told mankind not to do, was to not eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. There was one job, one thing they couldn't do. What is the one thing they do do? (laughs) What we all would have done. They made their way to that tree and they ate of the forbidden fruit. And as a result, sin came into the world. And as a result, the world broke. Man's relationship with God broke, first of all. We serve a holy God, a majestic sovereign one. And he can't then just hang out and relate in perfect unity with sinful mankind, which is what we had become. So God drives them from the garden. He cuts himself off from his people. Mankind's relationship in that moment broke with God and the world itself then also broke. Sickness came into the world. Toil came into the world. Pain and difficulty, even death came into the world. And people's relationship, not just with God, but with one another began to break as well. Cain and Abel, the very first two boys that Adam and Eve have, one murders the other. Out of jealousy. Everything begins to break. Mankind's relationship with God is broken. The world itself is broken. People's relationships with one another began to break. And quite frankly, my friends, it has been like it ever since. Ever since. Man's relationship with God has been broken. Romans 3 verse 23 says, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we have. We've all exchanged worshiping the creator for his creation. We don't want the creator. We just want his creation. It's exactly what Adam and Eve were experiencing in the garden. It's still exactly what we feed on to this day. I don't want you, but I want whatever I want. I want to be king of my castle. I want to be the originator on the earth. I want to stand and don't tell me what to do. Sin came into the world and ever since man's relationship with God has been broken. And quite frankly, my friends, ever since we've been living in a world that is breaking more and more and more. You only have to turn on the news or open the paper to realize how broken this world is. Why? Because of us. Not because of God. God didn't cause suffering to come into the world We did. God didn't break this. We broke this. And what is man's response in arrogance? It is to completely and utterly reject God. To reject God. We still do it today. We reject him on the premise that he simply doesn't exist, for example. Even though Romans 1 tells us that the glory of the Lord can be seen in creation, we look at all creation and we decide some other means by which it got here and we still reject the Creator. Some reject Him, saying He simply doesn't exist. Some reject Him on the premise that He is to blame. How dare He bring about such difficulties into the earth? And others reject Him on the premise that quite simply, even if He does exist, then He doesn't care or He simply doesn't want to do anything about it. They accuse him of being an unloving, uncaring, unkind God. Failing to realize that actually, the suffering we see in the world isn't his fault. It's ours. You know, God at that moment in complete justice could have just left us. Each and every one of us have rebelled against him. Each and every one of us have exchanged the creator for the creation. Each and every one of us have decided, I want to live for me, not you. And it is staggering that we haven't world over been wiped out by the wrath of God before now. God would have been completely just to completely wiped us off the earth with his wrath. And yet God instead, in complete grace, came after us on the greatest rescue mission ever taught. He came after us to seek and save the lost. That's all of us. All of us are outside of the garden. All of us are far away from a relationship with the one who made us. But God so loved the world, we read in John 3.16. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son... So that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. It's a staggering reality. We were objects of His wrath because of our sin. And yet in grace, He so loved us, He comes after us on the greatest rescue mission ever told. My friends, happy Good Friday. That's what it is all about. It is the Savior of the world. The glory of God dwelling bodily, coming after us on a rescue mission and giving his life away as a ransom for many. Who are the many? Us. It's us. In his mercy, he died in our place on the cross so that we could be reconciled to God. So that we could be forgiven of our sin. So that it could be removed as far as the east is from the west. Forgiven from our rebellion. And then also reconciled to him. Reconciled to the one who made us. And he even tells us, listen, I'm not just going to reconcile you. But through faith in my son, I'm actually going to adopt you. People who were once his enemies are now going to be seated at his table. Enjoying friendship and family and care. My friends, I want to encourage you, this isn't the way that it was meant to be. It is not for us to be wagging our fingers at God in all of this. God didn't cause suffering to come into the world. We did. But in grace and mercy, even though he didn't have to, he came after us on the greatest rescue mission ever told. And that's what Good Friday is all about. This isn't the way that it was meant to be. That's the first piece of the jigsaw that we have to understand when we're asking the question of where is God in the midst of a COVID-19 world. But the second part of the jigsaw, the second piece of the frame is the reality and joy that one day he will put all things right. One day everything will change. He says it there in Revelation 21 verse 5 that one day he will make all things new. And he points us wonderfully to a day when he will return. A day when he, Jesus Christ, will return to judge the living and the dead. A day when all those who are found in Jesus Christ will be ushered into heaven for all eternity. A place that we will know as home. And my friends, what a day that will be, don't you think? What a day it will be when we see him face to face and we are taken home. What is on view right here in Revelation chapter 21 is ultimately the glories of heaven. My friends, if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, heaven is your home. And what a day it will be when he comes back for you and he ushers you into the heavenly realms. Heaven will be a place where there will be no more pain. That's why He will wipe away every tear from our eyes. Because it will be a place where there will be no more pain. No more COVID 19 for a start. There will be no more viruses or diseases, no more arthritis, no more mental illness. No more speech disorders or cancer or AIDS or tooth decay. No more heart attacks or asthma or allergies or eczema. There will be no more sickness in the heavenly realms. No more sin. No more rape or theft or murder or immorality or drunkenness or crime or war or abuse. Listen, there will be no more decay or corruption or death in any form in the heavenly realm. And when we were there, instead of those things, we'll be in a place that will resound with great friendship and laughter. It will be an explosion of joy in the heavenly realms. There will be no social distancing in heaven, ever. Instead, there will be feasting and drinking and music and worship. There will be a paradise to explore, a place of trees and fields and rivers and mountains and glaciers. All the things that on this earth are just a foretaste, just a mere shadow image of what we will receive in the heavenly realms. And in God's glory, we will be able to run and walk and touch and talk and see and hear in glorious perfection in a way we never were able to do here. See, in the heavenly realms, we won't just become angels or ghosts. No, our bodies and souls will be transformed and made perfect. We will still be recognized and carry the same name, but we will be very different. Every craftsman that has ever existed on this earth has ultimately been given the skills and the gifts by God himself. Imagine for a moment then what he is creating for us in the heavenly realm. And there we won't be alone. We will be with angels. We will be with people from the past. God tells us there will be people there from every tribe, a language and nation. But most incredible of all, he will be there. Jesus will be there. When Grudem says this about that moment. He says, when we look into the face of our Lord, and He looks back at us with infinite love, we will see in Him the fulfillment of everything that we know to be good and right and desirable in the universe. In the face of God, we will see the fulfillment of all the longing we have ever had to know perfect love, peace and joy, and to know truth and justice, holiness and Wisdom, goodness, and power, and glory, and beauty. Listen. When we finally see the Lord face to face, our hearts will want for nothing else. We will see in him the sum of everything we had ever hoped for, everything we had ever wanted, everything we had ever Delighted in what a day it will be when he returns to make all things new. Listen for my friends. For Christians, for people who know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Saviour, what a day it will be when we see his face and when heaven becomes our home. But likewise, for non-Christians, What a day it will be for them as well. But in reality, it will be a fearful day. You See, some people think that when you die, just nothing happens. You just cease to exist. You know, you're here today, gone tomorrow, had a good one, thanks for playing. Other people that think when you die, you get a second chance. So maybe there's like this purgatory thing, or maybe you reincarnate, so you just come back as something else, depending on how you've done in the realm of karma. But the Bible, my friends, you must understand, doesn't teach either of those two things. No, the Bible teaches that when we die, we get judged. And then depending on how that judgment goes, two different realities begin to take place. In their souls for all eternity. Hebrews 9 verse 27 says, Man is destined to die once, and after that, faces judgment. He comes and he judges the living and the dead. And every time we see this in the Bible, what you need to understand is there really are just two different options. See, to start off with, it will look all the same. We will all stand there and God will open the book on our lives and examine what our lives have been like. And yet there's a profound difference depending on our response to Jesus. See, as the book comes out for a Christian, somebody who's put their faith in Jesus Christ's death in their place, somebody who's put their faith in his substitutionary sacrifice for them, when the book gets opened and God starts assessing all the things they've done in their lives, it will be obvious for everybody, particularly if he's looking at my part of the book, that I don't deserve to get in. There are problems. There are, there are rebellions in my life, sinful actions in my life, in the thousands against God. And yet for Christians, as he opens that book and examines your life, when he gets to the end, this is what he'll read. Paid in full by Jesus Christ for Christians our sin is taken care of by the glories of Jesus Christ his substitutionary death in our place but for the non-Christian the same book comes out assessments of life that will no doubt probably look very similar to mine and then when he gets to the end you will see these words still to be paid for And the Bible's clear that in that moment, where it's been paid for, heaven will be their home. But where it's unpaid for, hell will be their home. And you know, whenever you preach hell as a pastor, people go, oh, it's this fire and brimstone stuff, it's terrible. You know what hell is? Hell ultimately is God just giving people what they've always asked for. But non-Christians, they've spent their entire lives saying, I don't want you, I don't want to follow you. And hell is God just saying, okay, well then you will not have me for all eternity. I will take me away. I will take my blessings away. You go and have what you want. And yet in reality, hell is described time and time again in the Bible as a fearful and horrendous place of which we can barely imagine the horrors. Friends, how then can a good God allow suffering? How can God be good and still allow suffering to take place in the world today? Well, here's how God can be good and still allow suffering. Because in his goodness, instead of wiping us all out, which he could have done by now as a consequence of our sin. He's giving us more time. He's giving us more time to repent of our sin and turn to Him. How can a good God allow suffering? Listen, our good God is allowing suffering to give the world more time to turn to Him. More time to repent of their sin and put their faith in Him. More time to respond to the finished work of Jesus Christ in their place. For God so loved the world that He gave His Son, so that anyone who believes in Him should not perish, but have Eternal life. God is giving us more time. He forbears with people rather than wiping them out, which He could do. He bears with us to give us more time, and I'm so grateful that He bared with me. I didn't deserve to live. I've deserved his wrath. And yet he bore with my sin again and again and again up to the point when I put my faith in him as Lord and Savior. I thank him. That's why God can be good and still allow our suffering. Because this isn't something that we should look at him and wag our finger at. This is something we should look at him and applaud and thank him. Thank you for giving us more Time. the suffering in this world is not because of him it's because of us and yet in his grace he is giving us more time how kind actually how loving understanding that judgment is coming he gives the world more time and you know the third anchoring point then in this story the third part of what is taking place is we build a picture of where God is in the midst of a COVID-19 world is understanding this. That in the interim, for all those who are in Christ Jesus, we are never, ever alone. Ever. In the good times and in the suffering. The promise of the Bible is for a Christian, you are never, ever alone. You see, when it comes to suffering there, is so, suffering, there is so often mystery attached to it. I remember when my son was born, our Josh, um, who for those of you who don't know was playing on the drum today. When he was born, he was born with many challenges. He only had one kidney that was working properly. He had heart defects. He had a cleft palate. There was tons of things going on with him. I remember when I lived in America, I had an appendicitis and I just thought it was stomach cramps, but actually it was appendicitis and it burst. So by the time I got to hospital, they were concerned that I could well die and were telling me and my wife accordingly. And as a pastor, I, I'm, I put face to face with people suffering all the time. And so often there is mystery attached to it. There are many things in detail about suffering that simply we don't understand. But here's where there is no mystery at all in suffering. There is no mystery at all that God is good, that God is loving, that God is sovereign, and that without any doubt at all, God is with us. We may not understand the details, but we do know the who. And we know again and again and again as He cares for us as His children that He is good, He is sovereign, He's always busy doing something for our good and His glory. And He loves us. And He will never, ever, ever leave us. It's one of the profound messages that runs through the entirety of the Bible. And so in Psalm 23... We see this comforting theme emphasized when we read the Lord is my shepherd. This wonderful profound mix of ideas that the Lord, Yahweh, the great King of kings, the Lord of lords, the one who was and is and is to come, is my shepherd. The psalmist then talks about this shepherdry being one of provision and care and guidance and protection and blessing and oversight, which is why he concludes, for surely, I know this, for surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. What causes the psalmist, Psalm 121, to say, I lift, we lift our eyes to the hills from where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Who will help me in the midst of my life? Who will help me in the midst of my suffering? Who will help me in the midst of my challenges? Well, I lift my eyes to the hills, the one who made the hills and made the stars and breathed out the sun. Where does my help come? My help comes from Him. And then time and time again in that psalm, he explains, the Lord is my keeper. He keeps me. He protects me. He cares for me. And as he does it, he never slumbers nor sleeps. He says, the Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forever." It's one of the great lessons of the entirety of the Psalms as we're comforted again and again. He's with you. He's with you. He's with you. He will never leave you. We see it illustrated then in the Gospels. When Jesus is walking in this earth, he is not indifferent to people's suffering. No, he is intimately involved in their care. At different times in the Bible, you even see Jesus weeping over what is taking place in people's lives he heals people he rebukes demons from people he gives small children his time he stops for the blind Bartimaeus he pauses for one he is always interested and when needs are he's not indifferent to people's suffering he is intimately involved and wants to care this is the same Jesus that before he went to sit at the Father's right hand, said to his disciples that he was going to be leaving them, but guarantees to them, I will not leave you as orphans. I'll send you a helper. He'll be just like me. And actually, he will come into your heart. He will come into your life when you put your faith in me. And through him, both I and the Father will reside in you. So in one sense, I'm going... But in another sense, I'm not leaving you at all. I will not leave you at orphans. No, I will be in you through the Spirit. No wonder then Paul says the following in Romans 8. He says, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also be with him graciously? Give us all things. or nakedness, or danger, or sword? No. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors, through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor COVID, I insert that bit, but the same thing, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. Why? Because Jesus said, I will never, ever leave you or forsake you. My friends, when we go through suffering, there is always mystery attached to it. We often don't understand the details of why, but what we can know is Who is with us? There's no mystery attached to that at all. And if you want to know how much he loves you, then gaze at the cross. If he did not spare his own son for you, then how much more will he give you all things? His care is intimate. His care is passionate. His care is particular. There is so often mystery attached to suffering, but there is no mystery at all in the believer's life when you understand that through all of your life, between now and when the Savior returns, He will never, ever leave you alone. What comfort and what faith building that does to our hearts, doesn't it? See, Psalm 46 verse 1 says, God is our refuge and strength. A very present help in trouble. It's beautiful. My friends, where then is God in a COVID-19 world? Well, for the Christian, what we discover is that God is ever present with you to help. He's there to comfort you, to give grace to you, to sustain you. He's there to give you hope and encouragement. He's there like an eagle putting his wings around you. For the Christian, without any doubt, God, in the midst of a COVID-19 world, is ever present with you to help. And for the non-Christian, my friends, I want to encourage you that God is ever present with you to give you opportunity because you have a problem that is far greater than any coronavirus your problem is that you are presently cut off from god the one who made you the one who knitted you together in your mother's womb the one who delighted in you is the one that ultimately you rejected you don't want to follow him you want to exchange him For the world, and I get it, because it's exactly what I did as well. We've all done it. And because of that, you are an object of his wrath. And the reality of this virus is just a dim shadow of what that really means. But God so loved the world, that he gave his only son, so that anyone who believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. My friends, if you're listening tonight and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you don't have to wait until you get into a church to respond to him. You don't have to wait until you're with a group of people. God is with you even now, even if you're alone. And So I want to encourage you this very evening on Good Friday 2020. Just tell him that you want to put your faith in him. Tell Him that you love Him and you want Him to forgive you of your sin and you want His death to be your death and you want to follow Him. Just simply cry out to Him where you are. Lord, would you forgive me of my sin? I put my faith in you as Lord and Savior. Lord, I want to follow you. You know what that happens? He does save you. By His grace and for His mercy. That's exactly why He came. So put your faith in Him. Completely entrust your life to Him. And you will be saved. Where is God in the COVID-19 world? Well, for the believer, He is there to help. And for the unbeliever, He's there to help you with opportunity. Don't waste another day. Trials have the wonderful ability ability to get our attention. God in his might is getting the world's attention. Maybe tonight God is getting your attention. Don't miss this opportunity. Choose life. Put your faith in him and know what it means then to be forgiven and redeemed and adopted and that heaven is your home. It's the glories of Good Friday. Don't waste it. Let's pray. Lord, I do thank you that you came to die for us. Lord, it is a staggering reality when you begin to think about it. Because you could have just left us. And you would have been completely just to do so. You made it clear how we were to live and each and every one of us decided, no, thank you. And then more often than not, we even had the audacity, me included, to point and wag our fingers at you as if you were letting us down by still allowing suffering in the world to take place. And yet, Lord, in reality, that suffering is taking place because of us. We broke it. We broke our relationship with you. We broke our relationships with others. The world is broken. And yet you didn't abandon us. 2,000 years ago, you came after us on the greatest rescue mission ever told. Oh Lord, would we all find comfort and joy and amazement in that. You are a glorious King. Would we never lose our amazement of you? Jesus, thank you.